Benny Lewis here from the Language Hacking Podcast, and this is episode 13, where we will be interviewing Idausa Ness. I actually know Idausa uh, from online communities for quite some time. I came across him originally because I was quite impressed by his multilingual rap videos. And uh, we'll be talking about his learning strategy of learning a language by ear with his mimic method. So this episode includes tips on using music and rap to learn language. It also covers how to sound more like a native, so you'll integrate into those cultures. This is something I really focused on when I lived in Brazil, and I've definitely seen Idausa do it much better than most people I've ever come across. So before we get into the episode, if you've been enjoying it, make sure to leave us a review. Let us know what's been working for you. And you can do this at languagehacking.com slash review. We read every single one. And a big thanks again to everyone who's left a review recently. It really makes a big difference and it helps us reach a much wider audience. So the links and resources mentioned in this episode will also be available at languagehacking.com slash 13. So without any further ado, let's go on to the Mimic Method interview with Idausa Ness. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm with my co-host, Shannon. Hello, I'm Shannon. And today we're joined by a friend of mine, Idausa Ness. So, Idausa, how's it going? Oh, good, man. How are you guys doing? Very good. I would love to hear... Um, your version of how your language learning story got started. So could you give us the summary? Ooh, the summary. Well, I started here in this bedroom, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, in the suburbs of America, where I was born and raised and dreaded every moment of my boredom. And all I could think about was just getting out. So uh, somehow I like finagled my teachers and my parents to let me go to Mexico when I was uh, 17. And that was where I learned my first foreign language. And uh, the story there was basically, I went there, I was studying, learning how to read, write, conjugate, all the good stuff. And I was in a school program doing pretty well, but I was not able to really understand people. And I had a host family. I was like by myself. No one spoke English. Got super depressed and lonely. Uh, And then, yeah, then one day I just decided to try to like forget about the grammar and the vocab and just mimic the people. I do like uh, Antonio Banderas impersonations and stuff when I would just be reading off of menus and things, just having fun with it. Uh, but through that process of paying really close attention to the sounds of things, really trying to get it, even the facial expressions, the hand movements. And after a few weeks of doing that, I had this major breakthrough and I became fluent very quickly after that. Um, and then, yeah. And then after that, I learned several other languages, Chinese, Portuguese, French, German, Italian. Yeah. And it was after China and Brazil learning Portuguese and Chinese that I came up with my own kind of, I was developing my methodology and then kind of codified my own by then in 2011. And that's the mimic method. So what exactly is the mimic method? What is the methodology that you came up with? Yeah, I mean, the the basic premise is that all learning is through mimicry. And um, so what it means to learn a language, if I'm going to learn like French, for example, am I learning French? But really, there's a group of people, we'll say in France or Cameroon or whatever, and they're moving their bodies in a certain way to communicate with each other, both in their hands, their faces, to their tongues and their lips and their throats. And that's moving the air that moves your ears and they understand. So the essence of communication, the essence of learning is being able to imitate or to mimic other people. 
So I had realized that after the languages I had learned that when I got deep into the pronunciation, the accent, everything else opened up very quickly. And I also noticed that other people um, really struggled getting the nuances of accent and pronunciation. And I have a musical background. So basically I applied musical techniques to the teaching of the articulation of the tongue and of the lips. And, and now even in the face, we have like facial expression courses. Um, and then, yeah, the idea of that is the more you can move like them, the more you will naturally start to pick up on them and acquire the language. And it's quite simple. If I see someone like making a sound while they're like grabbing an apple, my mind will make the connection be like, Oh, that's the sound you make when you want to eat an apple. Right. And then you mimic it and you just keep doing that until you're speaking the language. Yeah. And uh, like you say, you've got this musical background that you've implemented into it. And a lot of language learners do have that. It gives them that little, uh, that edge of understanding musicality. But what I find most interesting about uh, your background and your stories, I've seen videos of you actually rapping in other languages and doing a very convincing job of having um, uh, what, at least to me, sounds like an almost native accent in the language. So this is, for me, by far the most impressive part of your language learning experience has been because of the uh, sound mimicry that you really do end up sounding like a native speaker. So how does the, how did you take rap into it, and how how did that develop in terms of um, like expanding on your your skills and how you help other people learn through the likes of rap and music? Yeah, sure. So you know our whole thing is we teach you how to flow in any language. And I use that word flow in lots of different ways. Um, one of them is actually the rap flow or even the freestyle improvisational flow. And what happened was actually as a kid with my friends, uh, we like freestyle rap a lot for fun, like put it like download beats from Kazaa and like, you know, freestyle in our basements. And uh, it was something fun to do. And when I got to Brazil, it's learned my third language in Portuguese. And I picked it up very quickly because I learned the music of Brazilian music. So I fell in love with it. Um, once again, going deep into the phonetics and um, learning how to move your mouth in each way to the beat. And then, yeah, I was there at um, Brazil. I was speaking Portuguese very well. And then one night I was coming home from something and I stumbled upon a, a bunch of uh, kids freestyling in the park, like a hundred people freestyling in a park in Portuguese. So I jump in and like, once again, I speak Portuguese fluently by this point. And I'm like, oh, let me show these guys how to do it. But then it was, I was shocked because I was not able to freestyle at all in Portuguese. I was like, oh, wow. Like, I can't think of a single word that rhymes with like falar, you know? And like, so then I'm like, what's going on here? So I went home and like, was really kind of trying to break it down and figure out how I could teach myself this. Started like writing out kind of corny Portuguese raps for myself and making them better. Uh, and then I went in there each week and got better and better. And the interesting thing was that like, when you really push your mind to the edge to try to rap in a language, specifically freestyle rap in a language, when you come out of it and you have a normal conversation, it's like a walk in the park. Cause you're just like, well, like this is way easier. So um, anyways, the, the idea there is we brought it into our program. The first course we made was called the flow of Spanish. And we taught you how to sing and even rap in Spanish. The idea being that even if it's rap um, and it sounds very complex, it's just a sequence of dance steps in your mouth. And if you break those down and put those to a beat, so, you know, people would go through our program and like our last kind of final boss song was uh, this daddy Yankee song, uh, what was it? Look at paso, paso. But then the the actual lyrics. And like, yeah. So you, you can take that and then slow it down using digital technology. And it's like, 
Eya konye valamedi. And then we chunk that out into groups of like four. And then I'd be clapping it out for you like, ehu, na, se, si, na. Right? And each of these sounds you can do, you just hadn't done them in that sequence. But you do it slow, build it piece by piece. And by the end of it, we've had like, you know, hundreds of people go through and just rap in these like Puerto Rican uh, <laughs> reggaeton songs, just like Daddy Yankee. Um, and you don't have to know what it means. You don't have to know anything it means. But what you're doing is you're actually moving your tongue to speak the language naturally fast. So now when you go into a conversation, instead of getting tongue tied, because your tongues actually haven't learned those movements yet. Now they've already done that and all that kind of good stuff. So things start to flow much easier. And then that has all these downstream effects in terms of your confidence and your acquisition, your attention. So yeah, just as, as funny as it sounds to the rap, it really is the most effective way to train those movements in your mouth. I'm also a musician. I'm a saxophone player, so I can totally relate to building the muscle memory, especially in your mouth and get it to coordinate to create all of these sounds and things. And I'm, I'd love to know, especially because you're also you have a musical background as well. What other sorts of things you've been able to take from music and apply to language learning beyond that muscle training? Yeah, lots of things. So actually in our um, in our new programs, we we break things down. So basically we teach you every single relevant aspect of the sound side of language. If language has two parts, fundamentally the sound and the meaning contained within the sound, the actual sound part, um, you know, there's lots of things in the sound world. You can hear, you know, birds chirping outside or like a jackhammer going off. Uh, but in a phonology or a sound system, there's only two types for us humans. There's music and language. And what you're saying there is that there are certain elements of sound, which come together in kind of pattern ways that interact with our mind in a way that's intelligible to us. So that breaks down into basically the, the rhythm, right? So that's the kind of timing and the stress of things are going like this versus going like this. That's, that's a rhythm. So I'm speaking Spanish and I'm like, Hola, que tal, amigo? But I'm speaking Italian, like, Hola, que tal, amigo? Right? Just in like, in like, I just said Spanish words with Italian accent. And what I changed there was actually the timing of the syllables. So that rhythmic timing piece has the same basic rules to it from music, right? And then same thing, and my voice goes, that movement of tone is just, you know, your voice box moving at different frequencies. So that's, that's your intonation, that's your pitch, same thing you have in music. And then the final piece is, what am I actually doing with my tongue and the articulation? Um, art, fine motor articulation in your tongue and the learning of it goes by the same principles as we use to do it in our fingers playing saxophone or violin or piano. So yeah, actually, if you go deep, as I did into like the neuroscience of it, um, what they, the conclusion that came looking at different scans of the brain when people are playing instruments or talking language is that um, we have shared learning mechanisms in our brains for the acquisition of musical systems as we do for the acquisition of language systems. So, you know, beyond the actual practical use of music in terms of a way to train something repeatedly, um, we're actually on a neurological level touching lots of things that overlap. So there's a lot more going on there than I'll ever know in terms of how it helps, but I can feel it when I do it in my own language learning, you know? Yeah, and I, I've gone through your courses myself, and uh, one thing I found absolutely fascinating is that I, I personally had a bit of an aversion to things like the International Phonetic Alphabet, and to ever, like, to me, it just looked like gobbledygook and to these diagrams that they kind of have cross-sections of the mouth I have seen those before and I've been put off by them, but you truly embrace all of these. And, and one thing that you do in terms of your recommendations with languages is you generally don't 
would you wouldn't learn the words as they're written necessarily because that involves some kind of a, a bias from our mother tongue. Is, is that right? And like, how do you, uh, how do you take all of this technical know-how? Because you said you've looked into the neuroscience of it, and how do you present that to the layperson who's just coming to this from the first, um, from like they're just seeing this for the first time? Yeah, so I throw the second question and weave into the first one. So the neuroscience stuff, all that kind of stuff, I'll sneak that in there because I like to nerd out on it and like some segment of people do like to nerd on it, but you don't need to know any of it. Like all you need to do is listen and mimic, watch and mimic. Um, so the issue is that if I come and I bring you, once again, you say it in French, and I bring you a French person and he starts speaking to the wheel, and he's speaking super fast French and you're just like, I can't, I can't catch any of this because I don't have any experience yet. So um, breaking that down into so small pieces I referred to earlier and then presenting it to somebody piecemeal, that's just what teaching and learning is, right? Now, the problem is this, we already have a system, you know, say in English or whatever your native languages for mapping sound to script, to a visual symbol that we can like refer to later. So I can, you know, put the letter T up on our video call here. And then in your mind, just when you see that through, through no conscious effort of your own, a sound's going to emerge in your head, like, right. And then even a uh, kind of sensory motor thing's going to happen in your tongue where you're kind of like, uh, licking the edge of your alveolar ridge as you, as you, you know, start to flirt with the letter. Right. So uh, here's the thing. If you were Brazilian, right. And you saw like, it's like T I, you're going to be looking at it, but you're not going to hear it. You're going to hear like a, right. Because that's just how they've mapped that same letter, that same script to a different sound, a different movement in the mouth. So when you look at the grand scheme of things, um, and once again, I've learned seven languages and I learned the, how to spell and all of them. So every sound I know, <clears throat> there's this web of like scripts associated to it. You know, imagine like the letter, like the sound floating above the earth with all these lines coming out of different like letters on each one. And it gets super confusing. So, um, you know, in our earlier programs, was again, people record themselves and send us the recordings. And I'd listen to them and I hear people's mispronunciations. And there's three reasons why you can mispronounce. Either you just don't have that sound or you're saying the wrong sound. And most pronunciation, mispronunciation actually, is people just saying the sound as they read it in their head. So just lots of noise in the signal. I've seen the letter T at least like 3 billion times in my life. So it's really hard to unwire that association. So we use IPA just because we need something that has a, what they call one-to-one -one association. So every time you have a sound, you have this and people see it, like you say, and they get freaked out. Like we see like aliens, you know, runes and we're like, Oh my God, like new letters. But people learn it like in a couple of days because it's not about learning the letters. It's about learning the sounds, like hearing notes. You know, I play music. I don't even know the names of the notes, um, but I can play music. Right. So you don't need to know the letters to speak. So we just use IPA because we have to as a way to communicate things visually across the internet. Um, but ideally, you wouldn't even have to learn that stuff. It would just be presented to you in pure audio. For the method that you teach, um, a lot of it's for speaking and being able to produce the sounds. But I'm curious to, to know how it also helps with listening comprehension and being able to recognize the sounds. Cool. Actually, I recommend a book I just finished reading called Mind in Motion by Barbara Tversky. And, um, and she kind of lays out the research for a point I like to make a lot, which is perception and production are not separate, fully separate in the mind. And actually one of the main things you get from that book as they look at how the mind works is that um, we listen with our mouths. So um, if you 
notice when you're speaking to someone face to face or whatever, it's easier to understand them than like on the phone. You don't notice that until you learn a foreign language. You know, you guys know like, oh, I speak Spanish, great. And then on the phone, you're like, oh my God, I'm back to square one, right? <laughs> so like, that's what's going on. There's so much data going on. And it's because our minds are mimicking constantly. And we're kind of imagining ourselves um, making that movement with our mouth. And that's how we uh, understand. So anyways, just by learning how to pronounce things, it instantly, uh, fundamentally affects your hearing. Um, but of course, there's also a channel going the other way. We also train your hearing to affect your production, your pronunciation. So there's two things, right? There's the hearing or the actual perception of the sounds or the movements that the people are making. And then there's the, um, you know, kind of collating those sounds with everything else in the context to make meaning out of it. And the problem is, is that, you know, if we had a Zoom call right now and started chopping out now, like this, right? If I was talking that way, then you'd be like, oh, I'm not getting a clear signal. And that's kind of what it's like for people who are new to a sound system and they're trying to hear really fast, you know, French, Chinese, whatever. It's literally like static. They're not actually catching all of the sounds. So once again, when you tune your mouth to it, you listen to audio very closely, side by side comparisons. What that does for your brain is it actually kind of tunes it like an antenna, like a radio dial into that frequency of that sound system. And then now you're just, um, you're finally getting the signal. So we have lots of people who are like intermediate speakers or even advanced speakers, but it just chronically struggled with listening comprehension. And then they'll do like the first module of our, of our new program where all you do is you, we scramble syllables around in a phrase and then you have to kind of rearrange them. Um, and they do that for like a week and they're like, whoa, like I've, I listened to the radio today. It was the first time I understood everything they were saying. And so no new vocabulary was entered. They already had the words. It was just kind of, you know, dialing the antennas and now they can actually receive the sounds. It's a very interesting way of looking at it. And as people are like tuning their mouths, um, so a question I'm sure you get asked uh, very often that I get asked too. I'm very curious to hear how your answer. What do you say to people who as adults would say they cannot make these sounds that are different? You know, if you think of something like the R in Spanish and they may not have ever tried to do that before, and they believe it's just fossilized in their mouth, they'll never learn it, what would you say to them? Oh, for that specific example, I would, I would say just Google or YouTube my name, uh, Chilled Arc, which is a, there's a good video on that, that has like lots of comments of people like, oh my God, I got it. And because uh, what it is, like, cause I couldn't do the R until, I couldn't do the R until I was, uh, I guess, 18, after, after I got back from Mexico. And um, my brother could do it, my mom could do it. I was like, oh, was I like some kind of genetic, you know, reject and I couldn't get the R sound. And uh, it used to piss me off too, because in Mexico, my like, my name was, uh, for whatever reason, I chose the name uh, Enrique. But at the time, I was called like, I was like, Enrique. And these Mexicans just could not understand me. Like, como te llamas? I'm like, Enrique, Monday. En Enrique, Monday. Oh, Enrique. I'm like, ah, oh, excuse me, you just rubbed it in now. And like, uh, so I came back to the US and I was just figuring out ways to like do it. And then one day it catches. So I explained that process in the video and then lots of people in the comments like, oh, wow, I got it now. But to the main point there is that it's a motor skill. It's a fine motor skill. If you sat down at the piano for the first time and you tried playing like some Beethoven sonata and you couldn't get it, would you be like, oh, I'm never going to get it? Or would you be like, oh, no, actually, maybe there's a process called deliberate practice and training and I have to sleep and then wake up and do it again. And then I'll learn it. So to, to people who, who believe themselves to be genetically, physically, you know, materially reductionistly, 
prevented from ever pronouncing a new sound in a new language, all I'd say to you is um, just try it longer. And, uh, and then also try it the right way. You can't just, you can, you just do a lot of dead ends. So what I try to figure out in our own stuff is what is like the best path for each type of person with each type of error to get them to pronounce the sound. And our final thing I say to that a lot is that, you know, human beings are all very different. We look different, different hair, different skin color, but we all have the same mouth. So there's nothing that, you know, someone can do with their mouth over there that I can't do with my mouth over here. It's just that they had more training if they grew up in it. You just mentioned deliberate practice, and I think that's something that we should definitely kind of expand upon. Um, for someone who might not know exactly what deliberate practice is, can you break it down? Sure. Yeah. I mean, most of what we do, 99.9% of what we do moment to moment is our unconscious mind. So right now I'm not speaking to you. When I'm speaking to you, I'm not thinking about, okay, I need to put the blade of my tongue against the thong, but blow my air through freaking like I'm just doing it. It's just flowing out of me without any conscious effort. And that's because once again, I learned English as a baby and then it went into my subconscious. So the question is, how do you get things into your subconscious? And that's through your very narrow conscious window. Um, so, you know, you can use that conscious window to kind of scroll around on Facebook and like look at stuff and you know, get angry at your friend and ruminate about that, or you can use it to focus. Right. And if you focus on something and you, and you put your body into it, you do it over and over and over again, then that attention gets burrowed into that corner of the world. And then it starts to put things into your unconscious, your motor memory, your mind, everything's going there. So that's a big fancy way to say, like when you're practicing violin, for example, or saxophone, you're not just playing, you're not just flowing. You're sitting there and you're working on a very specific thing and you're doing a repetition over and over again until it gets embedded into the, as a motor pattern. Um, so that's a little bit of practice really. And in the grand scheme of things, when I think about my language practice, there's basically two practices, my uh, conversation practice and my deliberate practice. So conversation, what actually matters. If you're sitting here and you're trying to practice somebody, you pay attention to the ways you get stuck to the places that, you know, oh, I wanted to say this thing. I didn't sound good about it, uh, but it's fine. Just let it go. Let it flow, but take note of it. And then afterwards, maybe later on your own, You'll kind of take those concepts like, oh, how do I talk in the past or whatever? Then you'll get sentences, you'll get whatever, and then you'll deliberate practice it. Our thing is musical. So whenever you do like that kind of song training thing we do in our programs, that's a deliberate practice where you're just repeating sounds and movements over and over again until it's part of you. And as well as the deliberate practice in terms of the training aspect, um, what kind of interesting experiences have you had as you practice this with native speakers in your travels and online. And I'm sure you've probably gotten uh, the comment many times that you sound like a native speaker. And how have you processed that? And how uh, has that changed your experience as a traveler? Yeah, I mean, I've had lots, lots, lots of interesting experiences related to that. So in each language I've, I've mentioned, uh, I've had been mistaken for a native speaker. It's not something that happens. Like I, I can't like maintain it like a spy for like, you know, years. It's a, it, it, I'll give it away like 60 seconds or whatever when I say something off. Uh, but in the beginning, um, they might make that assumption based on my pronunciation and accent. Um, so it's funny in places like, uh, Brazil where I look super Brazilian and, um, it's pretty bizarre at first. Cause when I first learned the language, like I do accent first. So when I got there, I was already speaking like Brazilian, even though I had a very limited vocabulary. So I'd walk into places and I'd be like, uh, excuse me, what do you call this thing here? And I'm like pointing to a chair. And the guy, and I'm, I'm saying it with like a with a Brazilian, like, and they're like, 
ch- chair? You mean the chair? And they're like, ch- chair? And then, they, and then they think I'm messing with them and then people get angry. Girls always thought I was like a Brazilian and I was just like pretending to be American and they wouldn't trust me. So it was like, it was like this weird uncanny value. Well, I wasn't good enough to speak full Portuguese, but my accent was like, that no one believed me. So I had experiences like that. People would demand to see my passport in like Brazil. Like, well, see, no way, American. And like, and then, uh, but then on the other side, like uh, in China, you know, where I don't look Chinese, to put on the phone, I get away with it. And I remember one time I like was looking for an apartment to rent. And then I was like haggling really hard in Chinese on the phone. And then I show up at the place and she's expecting to see some Chinese guy. And then like, <laughs> just like her face, when I open the door, she's like, wait, what? And like, uh, so yeah, but the cool thing though, is even like a place like China, you know, um, our sense of other and self, we tend to focus on the visual side of that. Like, oh, he's a different ethnicity, he wears different clothing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we think that's the big deal. But in my opinion, or in my experience, what really makes people feel like you, they know you or they know you, you know them, is if you can sound like them, if you can move like them. If you can walk into the party, you can be like, you know, Irish, you know, Irish, you can go to like a party like in Uganda, and they're like, hey, and then if you just start breaking down and doing their dance and like speaking with their accent, they're like, hey, he's one of us, you know? And like, and we've seen people like that in our travels lots of times. People are just so deeply embedded in the culture, even though they stand out maybe visually uh, because they move them with like them, they sound like them. People really react to you differently. Um, a lot of these countries that stereotypically would be, uh, you know, oh, they, they hate like Americans or foreigners when they speak, blah, blah, blah. But because I can sound like them, they'll be like, they'll like make those jokes in front of me. I'm like, you know, I'm American, right? They're like, yeah, but you're different. You're not like, you know. So that, that's, that's another major benefit of really focusing on the accent is that there is a major difference in how people respond to you and you can really sound like them. That's really interesting because I feel like a lot of learners, what they want to do is they want to focus on vocabulary and grammar and really dig into that. And they feel like they need to speak perfectly um, as opposed to like not worrying so much about the perfection, but maybe more like the immersion, like you were mentioning. And what would your advice be to someone who is thinking that they need to speak perfectly and know all the grammar and all the vocabulary before they really start to focus on the other aspects? Yeah, I mean, my advice is don't do that. <laughs> that's, my, that's my first advice, but uh, going deeper into it. Um, yeah, like I said, our thing is we want you to flow in any language. And part of flow is being able to creatively express yourself in the moment without allowing your inner editor uh, or inner critic to get in the way. Um, so that's one of the, I, I think the biggest challenge uh, language learners have is overcoming that inner critic, especially because of our academic background, how we really trained this perfectionist mentality. And like, you know, every time you didn't put an accent over the A in some la- in whatever language, there's a big red letter that like, you know, traumatizes you middle of the night and whatnot. So um, yeah, letting go of that is a big thing I've been focusing on is how do you actually train people to shut that part of their brain off? Once again, music has an important role to play there. Um, but yeah, first off, if you actually philosophically believe that you need to perfect things before you do it. It's just not going to work. It's just not how, um, once again, I can't just sit here and watch somebody do like a double backflip and like study it with my, with my glaring eyes for four months. And then like, okay, I got this. And then do it like, you know, I have to fall on my face a bunch of times. That's just how, this is how motor skills work. They have to be learned through messing up and fooling around. So yeah, that's that. Uh, but you know, I don't think most people truly believe that. Um, it's more of like the actual, anxiety and fear of, of the feeling of it. Um, so 
Yeah, my my main kind of advice for those things, people recently, is this idea of um, selecting your game wisely. So what happens is most people are like, the game I play when I'm on my iTalkie session is I need to speak perfect French. And each time I, I don't sound perfect, I've lost the game over. But a different game might be like, oh, like, I don't care if I get the grammar wrong or if I use the w- weird words. I just want this guy to nod his head as if he knows what I'm talking about by whatever means necessary, right? And then when you get that, and, we, and those of us who've had it know that feeling of a new language and you say something and the guy's like, oh yeah, I know what you're saying. You're like, oh yes, I successfully communicated to another human being in a different language. That, that is really what it's about. So what I try to encourage people to do is our sound stuff and our things is kind of have fun with it and also put your sights on a goal that's actually meaningful and attainable because um, you need to have the positive emotion of achieving something in order to keep moving forward. Uh, so yeah, like perf- there's no such thing as perfect. Like I probably made a bunch of mistakes in my English in this call already, but no one notices because no one cares. So just really just focus on the, the essentials and fundamentals of um, just trying to connect with another human being and, you know, and use all the tools you have for that, such as your hands, your face, your voice, everything. Uh, flow is just so central to everything that you talk about. So um, when it comes to like the, a basic question that we would get asked a lot of as, as language learners, as what, what does fluency mean to you? Generally, I would just pick a European common framework level. But I think in your case, it's harder to, to pin it down like that because it feels like you get this level of flow before you have, like even when you're in the A levels of language, before you have uh, even basic vocabulary like chair, that you can have a certain flow in your language. So what, what to you would be uh, the definition of fluency? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, all these words come from the same root, right? Flow, fluency, fluid. Um, and you can think about what the opposite of that is, which is kind of like uh, blocked, stalted, you know, so stuck. This is the words that people actually use all the time to describe where they are in their language learning, not just from uh, how they are in conversation, but also in their moving forward and progressing. They feel stuck. And so for me, the main objective, objective of our school is to put people into flow. And that's both when you're in a conversation with someone and your deep human desire to connect with them and explain and learn all that kind of stuff isn't blocked by something as silly as, you know, uh, a language, you know, and, um, and then you're able to connect, you're able to express yourself. And then each time you have that conversation, you walk away knowing more about that person, knowing more about their culture, um, knowing a new word, knowing a new way of speaking, you know, and, and then, you then integrate that into your next conversation and each one you get better and better and better and better. So you're flowing forward there. And then each conversation is flowing more. So you're connecting more and more. So for me, when I talk about fluency, I'm personally really thinking about getting to that point when the whole language endeavor stops sucking and you're not like, ah, just being embarrassed all the time, but you're actually able to increasingly get to know. So when I'm in a place, I'm just getting, and I get to that flow point. I'm getting better and better and better with each conversation and getting closer and closer and closer with the people and the culture. And I'm noticing different improvements along the way, but I'm also kind of not. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a way you can technically define it, but at the end of the day, that's all arbitrary on the individual level. What you're looking for is to not have that feeling of being 
stuck in conversation and stuck in your progress. So I would, I would really encourage people to not obsess so much over like, I have to be perfect. You know, I have to have the, the National Academy of Sciences to approve my fluency. And it's like, for me, it's like a language is a tool fundamentally. It's a cool tool. I like to sit down and like, you know, dissect it from time to time and learn about it. But really it's a tool and I'm using it to connect with other human beings. So as long as you're doing that, you're winning. So we've talked a lot about sounds, accent, pronunciation, um, both for production and recognizing. And you said that you focus on that initially, but I'm curious about like what happens for you personally after, like, what do you do to gain the vocabulary and the grammar that you need? Sure. Yeah. So the very first thing I do when I learn a language is I become a mimic and in that language, and it would be a few weeks of deliberate practice on the rhythm, the melody and the specific phonemes the combination of those phonemes, every single possible syllable I'm able to pronounce, pronounce them in different phrases, got different songs. And through that process, um, you know, we do it very systematically. It only takes a few weeks. I'm now able to arrive in said country or have a conversation with a speaker of said language and listen to them speaking at their normal speed, capture, you know, you know, five to eight syllables of it, because that's the limit of what I can do, and then hold it in my mind and mimic it, right? So then I walk in and somebody points and I point to something. I'm like, Hey, what string of syllables do you guys use to refer to this? And they're like, Budakabuku. and I'm like, okay. Budakabuku. Now, if I hadn't done that initial training, all I would hear was, right. I'd hear nothing. You know, I, I give the example a lot of people. If I say to you, uh, to mimic this phrase, Ferdigan Razo Wugwali. Try it. Ferdigan Wazo Woodwoolly. <laughs> That's good enough for it. Ferdigan Wazo Woodwoolly. There you go. There you go. So both of you are like 90, 95% there on your first try. Now let's see if you can get that same percentage on this one. Agriatmu Sagbi. Agriatmu Sabdi. Shannon's eyeballs, I think, doubled in size. I'm good. Exactly, right? So it's actually the same amount of data, technically. It's the same length of syllables. That was from my mom's native language. And, um, but it was composed of song of sounds that your brains haven't adapted to yet. Right. And, um, but the first one, Fertigan Rouse Wugwali, those are all sounds that it doesn't make anything, any make any sense, but the syllables and the intonation and all the other acoustic patterns are familiar. So, um, now imagine if I associated Fertigan Rouse Wugwali with a thing and I like, you know, I was like, Hey guys, this is my Fertigan Rouse Wugwali. And you might not remember it the first few times, but after a few tries, you'd be like, okay, boom, association made. Next time I want Idalsa to pass me that thing, I'm like, hey, Idalsa, pass me the Fertigan Raza Wigwali. But you couldn't do that with Agriakmuzagmi because there is no, there's no kind of storage unit you could use with it. So to answer your question, once I have that, if I have conversation with people, just the mere act of asking, how do I say this and mimicking and then watching people lots and then you know, you can do like kind of programs like, you know, Pimsleur and stuff like that. And it will accelerate the acquisition of like the kind of core pieces that you see them quicker. And there are ways you can accelerate it. Uh, but really, that's just a speed question. If you just do the process of watching and mimicking, listening and mimicking, watching and mimicking and, and putting yourself into the situation, you just slowly acquire things. The problem is if you hadn't done that, then you're not going to get the data. in. So, yeah, so people ask me that question a lot. Like, how do I how do I learn afterwards? I'm like the mimic method. <laughs> I just mimic people. And, and of course you have the psychology of being okay with, you know, saying things completely wrong for a long period of time. You know, I'm just stringing words together. And I'm like, you know, a uh, cat downstairs eat now. Yes. 
you know? And, but once again, I'm winning the game, but they're not in their head and they're kind of like, Oh, he means this. So through that process, I'm constantly refining the language through mimicry because now I get to a point where I can communicate very basically, um, like caveman style, like Betty calls it. And then, um, but then someone says something, I know what they mean. And in my own mind, I'm like, Oh, that's how you say that. Like, and then I mimic that. And then now, boom, I used to be able to communicate that, but now I can actually say it exactly how they say it. And then next time I hear it again, is another extra nuance of like a, a deeper grammar piece that wasn't available to me at the very beginning, but now it is. So it's like, um, you know, printers, they do things like, uh, when you print out like a painting or a picture, for example, it's like line by line. But when a painter paints, they don't do it line by line, right? They do the sketch first and then they do like the things on top and layer and layer. So yeah, just by layer by layer, you're just mimicking enough to be core, become more communicative. And as well as that, helping your own learning process, uh, you've certainly helped a lot to train a lot of people um, in improving their mimicry skills. And uh, you've helped me in the past uh, by using the likes of SoundCloud and actually pinpointing specific um, timestamps in an audio that I might have sent to, to, to give me feedback on how I can uh, improve upon that. I'm curious uh, what else you, you have to say about how you train other people specifically with their issues. Yeah, I guess back to that deliberate feedback question. Sorry, deliberate practice question. Um, in, a, in a really effective training regime, there is immediate feedback and there's a sense, that, you know, you try to move, you try to mimic the movement, but you're going to be off the first time. You know, your tongue's here, but it's supposed to be here on a, a little bit to the left or whatever. Um, so in our first program, the way you dealt with that was, and that's what we do with you, Benny, is you record yourself trying to mimic your, your target, AKA trying to replicate his movements the same way. And there's going to be discrepancies. There's a point that's off. Now I had gone so deep down the rabbit hole on this stuff that I can now listen to anyone speak anything like pause the screen and tell you exactly how your tongue is positioned in your mouth at that moment. Cause I've heard tens of thousands uh, of audio recordings of people. So what I would do is I'd go in on SoundCloud, which allows you to put a comment on a specific second. And then you're saying like, uh, two and in Spanish, like two. And then, but it's actually, Oh, you're using the tip of your tongue instead of the blade of your tongue to articulate the two. Right. And then there's a little video of me explaining it in like a minute. And then you see it and you're like, Oh, all right. And then boom, we've now reduced the language of a, you know, a million words and a million different things to a single, like move your tongue a little bit more forward. And then it sounds like a very trivial thing, except for that toast sounds going to show up every three seconds in the language. And so now you're actually starting to flow with it. So we, we, we haven't, we've uh, retired that me giving feedback thing, but in the new thing we're, we're creating, we're reintegrating uh, that feedback system into it because yeah, people really like it and it really is useful. But otherwise, the best you can do is um, self-record or get other people to help you out. And then if you can kind of go on your own search of where am I off? And then what I really want people to encourage people to do is to just to pay more attention to what's going on there. And when you do that, you'll start to find, you just start to discover things on your own and correct things on your own. And it's actually a very fun and interesting adventure to go deep into nuance on sound because it's so ubiquitous. So you hear it everywhere. And you're like, oh yeah, like, wow. Like people listening right now are going to be like, well, I guess in Spanish you do use it to the blade of your tongue to go to and that to, oh my God. You know? <laughs> so um, yeah, that's, that's how we, that's how we do it. 
One of the questions that we like to ask all of the guests on the podcast, since this is the language hacking podcast, is what is language hacking to you? Um, yeah, I mean, hacking is about, at least in this context, is about uh, getting to a goal as efficiently and quickly as possible. So I guess what I could say is what language hacking is to me um, and what I try to communicate a lot in my messaging to people is to be really clear on what your goal is. And like I said earlier, I sometimes feel the focus is too much on the language itself, uh, which it could be for some people, but I think most people, their, their core motivation for setting out to learn a language is because there's usually some specific person or some specific culture that they want to get to know on a more intimate level for whatever reason. And that is the goal, right? So um, the question is, how do you hack your way to that goal as quickly as possible? And when you ask that question, you might be like, you know, I just spent the last six hours studying a genitive case in German. And yet I have, you know, no friends in Germany yet. I came to this country because I want to make friends. Am I really hacking my way to the goal right now? Or if I hack my way into the middle of like, you know, the jungle, right? So, so really getting clear on the goal. And that's what, that's what, that's what it is for me. It's being like, ah, you know, I've learned a language for like an ex-girlfriend before, you know, and it was, it was a very kind of clear goal. So hacking for me is about getting clear on it, um, looking for ideas, but also integrating your own and being creative with it. Um, and then having fun with it and, um, and then just flowing towards it. So that's really, you know, you know, you're hacking well when you're flowing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, as, as we've referred to a few times uh, in this interview, and as I personally stated, like I've really found your products so interesting. So um, I'd like to give you a chance to just tell the, tell people like what, what kind of stuff do you work on that um, they may want to check out? And of course I'll make sure to share the links in the show notes so people can, can go over there. Like what, what, what stuff do you have that uh, people people can check out? Uh, yeah, so you go to mimicmethod.com and we have our courses there. We're actually uh, very soon shifting to a, a new model, a recurring model, where you can come in and have access to all our library of, of courses. And, um, and then we have another community as well for that. But yeah, basically it's a bunch of courses I make on first and foremost the rhythm of a language, the melody of a language, the articulation, the 39 elemental sounds of Spanish, the 56 elemental sounds of German. What is each and every sound someone makes? How do you move your tongue and lips to produce that sound? Uh, then we have content that's musical based. The order for you to get that motor memory and that flow going, kind of saying syllables, musical syllables over and over again, and then getting a flow memorized the songs. Um, I also have a program on there uh, on facial expression science. So the same way I can tell you about the articulation of your tongue, I can now also see like what's going on in the face. And when you, when you learn that stuff, it goes crazy. And all of a sudden, not only do your language learning skills go way better, but you're way better with your relationships and all kinds of stuff too. So really what I'm passionate about fundamentally is communication and relationships. Um, so we, we opened up, we're, we're opening up soon our program so that you just come in there and just have a membership and you can, you can play any of those games that you want. Um, so yeah, just come, if you come to our site, join the list, um, you'll be informed of all the cool things we got going on. Mimicmethod.com. Yep. I'll make sure to leave that link in the description, uh, the uh, show notes for this episode. And this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much, Adasa. 
Yes, thank you so much. And um, just out of curiosity, what are your personal current language projects before we wrap up? Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of in between ones right now. I'm, I'm kind of focusing more on teaching. Uh, but one that I've been dabbling with is actually um, increasing my freestyle rap abilities in different languages. I'm, I'm terrible in most languages, but I have this new process that helps you. Oh, you know, in our programs, by the way, we have a one that actually specifically teaches you how to freestyle in a language, even if you have zero experience with it. So if you want to do that, come check us out. Uh, but yeah, that's how I've been working a lot recently. Just kind of like the more musical side of things and having fun with it again. Excellent. So thank you very much again. And uh, we'll be <coughs> sure to share all the links with people. And otherwise, I'll wish everybody a happy language learning until the next episode. Thanks, guys. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. At the end of each episode, we would like to share an actionable takeaway with In this episode, Idausa shares one key way to make sure you stay on track with your learning goals and hack your language learning. What was Idausa's tip? Keep your language goal in mind as you're learning. Doing work that leads you directly to that goal will get you there faster and help you stay motivated. So for example, if your goal is chatting with your friends in German, drowning yourself in grammatical features like cases won't get you there. Redirect your attention. What about you? How do you quickly reach your language learning goals? Let me know at languagehacking.com 13. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support it, then there's no better way than by signing up for the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, where you'll have a 15-minute conversation in a new language after just 90 days. You can find more details about that at fluentin3months.com challenge. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.